Welcome to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. A brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos starts now. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Bill Federer is here to look at the faith of our presidents. We're just a little over a month away from our next in-person conference. This is a huge conference featuring 12 speakers over two full days. Friday and Saturday, March 25th and 26th in Tri-Cities, Tennessee. Speakers include Dr. Larry Spargimino, Kamal Saleem, Dr. Rob Lindstead, Michael Hoggard, Larry Stamm, Bill Federer, Greg Patton, James Collins, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, Micah Van Hus, and Dr. Scott Stripling. Get all the details by visiting the events page of our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com and click on events. The Tri-Cities Tennessee Mega Conference. Registration is free, but seating is limited. So register today. I also want to ask you to please be in prayer for our new Studio 50 project. We are in dire need of a new recording studio. Most of the equipment we use to produce Watchmen on the Wall is outdated, and we're in need of new equipment and software. Many of you were so faithful last year in helping us update our print shop with new digital equipment, and we're now asking you to help us with our recording studio. The goal is $50,000. Now, this includes all the needed equipment, software, and installation. I know with your help, we can meet this goal. To support our Studio 50 project, simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, and let the operator know that you want to help. You can also designate your gift for the Studio 50 project when you give online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you for helping us continue to proclaim every day that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Today is President's Day. Historian and author Bill Federer is here to examine the faith of American presidents. Today is President's Day 2022. It is a holiday in the United States celebrated on the third Monday of February to honor all persons who served in the office of President of the United States. America's presidents of the past have been men of God. We can mention Washington's orders for troops to attend divine services. We could mention Lincoln's annual day of Thanksgiving as well as Harry S. Truman's annual day of prayer. Many of America's leaders had a tradition of faith, especially during national crises. Well, friends, we're visiting with Bill Federer. He is an author of many books, and we're going to be talking about his book, Prayers and Presidents, Inspiring Faith from Leaders of the Past. Bill, thank you so much for being our guest on this President's Day 2022. Larry, great to be with you. Well, I'm reading from Washington's diary, June the 1st, 1774. This was the day the British blockaded Boston's harbor, and Washington wrote this went to church and fasted all day, close quotes. And I'm literally amazed at the depth of Christian commitment we find expressed by so many of our presidents. Bill, 
which of the presidents really stand out in your mind as being great men of God? And I'm amazed at some of the statements that you have in your book, but which are the people that you can really think about and maybe tell us about? So President's Day is actually Washington's birthday. It was an act of Congress in 1879 for Washington, D.C., and then all federal offices in 1885. And in 1971, the Uniform Monday Holiday Act decided to move different holidays to a Monday so you could have a three-day weekend. And that's when Washington's birthday was observed on the third Monday in February. Well, Lincoln is born in February. And so since they're both such influential presidents, it got to be the President's Day was Washington and Lincoln. Mm. And then since then, it more or less opened up to acknowledging all the presidents. But on the books, it's still George Washington's birthday. Right. He's unique, born February 22nd. He's unanimously chosen as the Army's commander-in-chief, unanimously chosen as the president of the Constitutional Convention, unanimously chosen as the first president, and unanimously re-elected to a second term. Wow. He decided only two terms, and that was enough. And that set a precedent that every president followed until FDR who got himself elected four times. And so then we passed the 22nd Amendment, limiting a president to two terms. So it's easy to remember because the 22nd's got the different twos in there, right? In the book, I go through how virtually every president mentioned God in their inaugural addresses or their address upon assuming office because you had four presidents that assumed office when a previous president died. Mm four presidents that assumed office when a previous president was assassinated, and one president that took office, Gerald Ford, when Nixon was impeached. Truman took over when FDR died, got to give an inaugural address. But the other ones, they basically gave an address when they assumed the office, but it may not be called an inaugural address. Tallest presidents, Lincoln, shortest presidents, Madison. The longest presidential inauguration is William Henry Harrison. And he's the ninth president, and he gave a very long inaugural address out in the cold and then had a little sniffle that turned into a cold, pneumonia, and he died a month later. In his inaugural address, he warned of the danger of accumulation of power in Mm. the hands of the executive. In other words, he's warning that the biggest thing you can be afraid of is a president who rules through mandates, Mm. executive orders. Wow. And he says this, and like the false Christs whose coming was foretold by the Savior, they seek to, and where possible, impose upon the true and most faithful disciples of liberty. It's in periods like this where it behooves the people to be most watchful of those to whom they have entrusted power. Mm-hmm. So he's warning. He's like, okay, when you're in a period of crises, watch out for false Christ promising to come <laughs> along, but they're going to rule through executive orders and mandates. Could you imagine a president issuing mandates oh. and ruling the country like everybody has to wear something on their face? Yeah, <laughs> You know, Bill, I'm really not tired of COVID. I mean, I, I don't like it and don't rejoice in it, but I'm really tired of this nonsense and this control and this corruption and this censorship of good medical doctors who disagree with the mRNA vaccines, but they're being censored. Now, that's what I'm tired about. It's coming about through mandates, as you point out. So I think he made a very good point. Yeah, and so 
Back then they had the concept that when things were bad, you would have days of prayer. When things were real bad, you would have days of fasting and prayer. And when things turned around, you would have days of thanksgiving. Amen. So colonial era, you would have a famine, and they would have a day of prayer, a day of fasting, and then a ship would arrive in the harbor filled full of supplies. They would cancel the day of fasting and declare a day of thanksgiving. And so they were not deists. Deists believed that right. God made everything according to laws, and like a guy winds up a clock and sets it on the shelf, it's just running, and don't even bother praying because everything's just following these laws. The founders didn't believe that. These presidents didn't believe that. They believed we had a living relationship with God. If we sinned and repented, he would bless us. And so you have, during the Revolution, the Continental Congress many times had days of fasting and prayer, and George Washington would order his troops to observe the days of fasting and prayer. Jefferson was governor of Virginia, and when the Continental Congress had a day of fasting and prayer, he ordered and gave a proclamation for Virginia to honor this proclamation by the Continental Congress to have a day of fasting and prayer. Washington, after the Constitution was written, he declared a day of Thanksgiving. So here, they write the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and Washington is thanking God for this government. Yet, nowadays, they're twisting the Bill of Rights to say, oh, First Amendment, you can't mention God. Mm -hmm. But here's George Washington thanking God for the First Amendment. (laughs) Like, okay... John Adams is the second president, and there's a threatened war with France. And John Adams declares a day of fasting and prayer. And then James Madison is the fourth president. We have the War of 1812. The British burn the White House. And James Madison declares a day of fasting and prayer. Then there is a cholera epidemic in 1849, 150,000 Americans die of cholera. Could you imagine an illness, a disease sweeping the country and people dying? And the president's response was to call for a day of fasting the first Thursday in August of 1849. By the end of the month, the death rates drop off. Gee, maybe that's something we ought to consider is a day of fasting. James Buchanan having a day of fasting prior to the Civil War, yet Lincoln had two days of fasting during the Civil War. One of them is significant because he picked the date of April 30th, 1863 to be this date that they would all fast and pray. Well, the date comes, and two days later, a freak accident happens. The South shoots one of its own best generals. Hmm. It's Stonewall Jackson. It's the Battle of Chancellorville. He's outnumbered two to one, and he's winning. And Stonewall Jackson is coming back at twilight after examining the battlefield. And someone yells, stop who goes there. And before he can answer, a volley of shots are let off. He's struck twice in the arm, once in the hand, kills his horse, kills a bunch of guys around him. In the dark, they go there, and they realize they just shot their general, and they put him on a stretcher, and they trip and fall, and he falls, and his arm gets mangled and infected, and eventually have to amputate it, and then he dies. And just about every Civil War historian will admit, had Stonewall Jackson been at Gettysburg two months later, the South may have won. And there would have been a totally different outcome. And yet he was a godly man, so it's hard to reconcile, but nevertheless, there's God's big picture. He didn't want the nation divided, and he wanted it slavery ended. But it happened two days after, and it wasn't the Union defeating him, it was this freak accident. Right. You know, you fast forward, it was Woodrow Wilson had a day of fasting and prayer when we entered World War I. FDR had a day of prayer not fasting, but a day of prayer during D-Day, during World War II. 
Truman made the National Day of Prayer an annual event, mm-hmm. and it was Reagan that made the National Day of Prayer the first Thursday in May. And you read these proclamations, they're just all filled full of Bible verses, they're referring to God. You look at the population of the country, back in the 1940s during World War II, 98% of the country was Christian, 98%. Right. So there's a majority Protestant, about 25% Catholic, and there's probably about 2% Jews in the country. The military, FDR wrote the foreword to a Gideon's New Testament, and it says, as commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces. Blue ones to the Navy, brown ones to the Army. Matter of fact, I mentioned this years ago in talking with Noah Hutchins, and he says, I got a blue one. They gave me my Navy uniform, and on top they slapped this Gideon's New Testament, and sure enough, FDR wrote the foreword to it. And so today, it would be considered totally politically incorrect for a president to hand out a Gideon's New Testament. Right. Well, that could be offensive. Why don't you hand out a Quran or some other kind of book? No, back then, the country was so strongly Christian. Yeah. So I put all these quotes together in a book, and it's called Prayers and Presidents. They're direct quotes, and it's such a tremendous, useful resource for anyone. Yes. There's no commentary. You don't have to question it. They really actually said these <laughs> things. What amazes me about America, now, we were 98% Christian, no question about it. I mean, we were an open country. We welcomed everyone. You know, you think, well, okay, we go to a nation that's 98% Muslim, what happens? There's no freedom. America is 98% Christian, and people have rights. Rights are given to them by God, and we respect that. So the idea that, well, you know, if we have a Christian who's committed to Christ, committed to the Bible, and he's in the White House, he'll rule unfairly and unjustly. I think what's so amazing about Christianity, and it's so obvious in your book, that here were men who were dedicated to Christ, and yet they were so compassionate they loved people, they respected the poor, and of course we had problems like slavery and so on and so forth, but we rose above that, and there was that openness. But now it seems like, well, if you're a Christian, you're just a bigot. We've got it all messed up. You know, we're upside down. Yeah, when they say, well, there's freedom for all religions in America, it's like, let's examine this. You know, you have that bumper sticker where it says coexist, and it has, you know, a cross, and it's got a Muslim crescent, and it's got a yin-yang, you know, from mm-hmm. Buddhism, it has all kinds of different things. It's like, okay, for this to work, every group would have to teach its own group to be tolerant of those that are not in its group. And so Christianity says, love your enemy. Even Jews teach that everybody's made in the image of the Creator and be nice to the stranger because you want a stranger in Egypt. Islam, there's no concept of do unto the infidel the way you want the infidel to do unto you. Right. <laughs> Hinduism is, if there's a suffering person, you step over them in the gutter, because if they suffer really good, they'll be reincarnated in a higher state. Communist countries and in, in atheistic countries, your worth is dependent on your usefulness to the state. Right. There's a quote from John F. Kennedy's inaugural address. He said, the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Mm. Right. And so if there is no God, your rights come from the state, uh, right? And then as a quote from Harry S. Truman's inaugural address, he said, we believe all men are created equal because we're created in the image of God. Well, that's a biblical idea. Islam, yeah. Allah has no image. It's blasphemy to say you're made in the image of Allah. Hinduism, there's 300 million different gods, so pick which one you're in the image of. right? Atheism, there is no God. So just the statement, you're made in the image of God, is a Bible statement. Yeah. This is deeply incorporated into these quotes by 
by these presidents, and all of them are in the book. When I'm thinking of America's Christian history, I realize that so many of the institutions of higher learning were started by Christians. But things like hospitals, insane asylums even, it was Christians, Christians, Christians doing all of this, and yet we seem to get a bad name. The cancel culture wants to cancel us out, and for some reason, so many people go along with it, and I think part of the problem is our public school education, which is, you know, we've forgotten who we are. And Like you pointed out, if you forget who you are, you've got dementia or maybe, you know, Alzheimer's disease. And that's really where we are as a country. If we could only get back, if people came to read your books and to read something like Prayers and Presidents, Inspiring Faith from Leaders of the Past, I think this would be an eye-opener. But I know so many people, they're so biased. You just mentioned Christianity, and right away they roll their eyes and they walk away. So it's very, very sad I don't know who to blame, but I think one of the big problems is our public schools and, you know, state teachers' colleges, they're all corrupt, basically, even in small towns in America. I live in a small town, but the teachers come from state teachers' colleges, and the textbooks that they use even in our small town is written by some real left-winger in maybe Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles, California. It's not really written for Godibo, Oklahoma. So this thing has become so pervasive. Yeah, matter of fact, more and more churches, the pastors are being led to have church members run for school board. Mm. And the idea is you drive by that building every day. They're teaching the transgender drag queen story hour. You can boys <laughs> girls bathrooms. You know, the boy can swim in the girls' competitions and win. And you ask the person, are you in favor of that? Uh, no. Well, you know how many votes that school board member got? You know, like 100 or something? Do you know there's 500 people in your church? If your church just picked someone, and matter of fact, if you got all the churches in this neighborhood and added up their membership, it would be in the thousands. And the church, that school board member got elected by just a couple hundred votes. You could vote out every school board member overnight. Right. If the churches take care of the school board races, every other race will take care of itself. Mm. People are like, hey, we won that. We can run for city council. We can run for state <laughs> rep. We can run for all these other things. If we could just push the pastors to say, look, we're not in favor of what's being taught there. It doesn't line up with the Bible. Jesus said, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble better than a millstone we put around your neck, mm. you'd be thrown in the depths of the sea. And so if you're driving by that building and they're teaching what Jesus wouldn't teach and you know about it, the Bible even says that if you know of an unjust act and you act like you don't know, the Lord knows you knew and he will hold mm. you accountable. Churches do an important work. I mean... There's a pastor, I forget his name, in San Jose. He's been fined $3.9 million because he won't close the church. But the fact is, they have a ministry to the homeless. And he said in the last three months, there has been 500 new converts. He said the pressure is awful, but people are responding just like your friend. I think it's Rob McCoy. You put me in touch with him. Both Calvary Chapel pastors, it seems like the Lord's work is blossoming with all of this foolishness, but that a church would be fined $3.9 million. It does so much good to the community, and yet that is disregarded. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares about it. It's Christian. Oh, they don't know what they're doing. It's really a great tragedy. Well, it really is, and we definitely need to get back to where our founders came from, and the idea is that it's Christianity that teaches to tolerate people you don't agree with. I mentioned 
different presidents. Eisenhower's inaugural address in 1953, he said, Almighty God, we stand here beseeching that thou will make full and complete our dedication. And we beseech God's guidance. And he talks about gifts of the Creator. And, you know, Kennedy's inaugural address, he says, I've sworn before you and Almighty God the same oath that our forefathers prescribed. And Lyndon Johnson says, We have no promise from God that our greatness will endure. If we fail now, we shall have forgotten that the judgment of God is harshest upon those who are most favored. Nixon's inaugural, he said, We are all born equal in dignity before God. All are born equal in dignity before man. Gerald Ford's inaugural said, I solemnly reform my promise to uphold the Constitution to do what is right as God gives me to see the right. Of course, it wasn't an inaugural, but it was the address he gave upon assuming office. Jimmy Carter says, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justice, mm-hmm. to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Reagan's inaugural says, We are a nation under God. It would be fitting, I think, if on each inauguration day in future years we should declare it to be a day of prayer. Wow. George H.W. Bush said, Heavenly Father, we bow our heads and we thank you for your love. Make us strong to do your work, willing to heed and hear your will. Even Bill Clinton, he says, the scripture tells us, let us not be weary in well-doing. And then he says, with God's help, we must answer the call. Thank you, and God bless you. Mm. George W. Bush says, I will work to build a single nation of justice and opportunity. I know this is within our reach because we are guided by a power larger than ourselves who creates us equal in his image. That's just a a sampling. But again, for those... That say, well, you can't mention God. It's like, okay, we got presidents mentioning God in their inaugural <laughs> addresses. We can't have God in school. It's like, what are you going to do with all these presidents? So there's a thing I use, let history say what you can't. So we need this history, and that's why it's all in this book, Prayers and Presidents Inspiring Faith from Leaders of the Past. It's a great source of inspiration for any student of history, actually for anyone. There are some good things happening, like the governor of Virginia, Youngkin, sounds to me like he's doing a good job. And I think, doesn't New Hampshire, I recently heard that they approved the use of ivermectin. In fact, they even had a panel of doctors who said, yeah, it really works. It heals people. (laughs) It minimizes the effects of COVID-19. So what about these states that seem to be turning in the right way, in in the right direction? Is it because the abuses have been so egregious, like in Virginia? I mean, Virginia's been horrible with the abortion situation. How can other states move in the direction of, say, Virginia? Yeah, well, our national politicians have let us down. When a certain individual, quote-unquote, certified the election, I don't think it was certified. The word certified means to make certain. He certainly didn't make it certain. The umbrella was ripped, and so now politicians we trusted allowed the rain to come down upon each and every one of us. Instead of them holding back this floodgate of hell, it's now ripped and it's raining down, and it's up to every female athlete to push back. It's up to every student to push back. It's up to every mom to push back. It's up to every pastor to push back. It's up to every truck driver to push back. It's up to every local sheriff. It's up to each one of us to push back against injustice. Why? Because if we don't, it is quickly moving in the direction of a totalitarian dictatorship, not just nationally, but globally. Yes. The Great Reset is to bankrupt everybody, so we all go to the government and say, help, and the government says, okay, here's a check, we're going to confiscate all your savings, and you'll just be owned by us. And so it's up to us to push back and say, no, we're not going to yield to that, and God, use us in the time that remains to be vocal and spread your gospel and to touch people's lives for Jesus.
Amen. I've been somewhat shocked, you know, by Justin Trudeau and the Freedom Convoy with the truckers. I saw him on TV. The people were booing him. (laughs) They were really unhappy with him. And then he said, we're going to crush the opposition. Sounds like a dictator. The idea of crushing the opposition. That's not language that we adjust to very easily. And I hope a lot of Americans and Canadians say this is wrong. We're not going to tolerate this. Yeah, it's serious. The idea is that if you don't push back now, what do you have to look forward to later? Right. You know, Washington's farewell address, we're talking about inaugural addresses, but in the book Prayers and Presidents, I actually put some quotes from Washington's farewell address, and his big warning was, disorders and miseries, which is, you know, times like we're facing today, incline the hearts of men to seek security in the absolute power of an individual who turns this disposition to his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. And thus, whatever you call it, it'll be a despotism. And a despot is someone with absolute and arbitrary power. Here's John Adams' inaugural address. Second president, he mentions Christianity. Mm. 1797, veneration for a religion of a people who profess and call themselves Christian, and a fixed resolution to consider a decent respect for Christianity Mm. among the best recommendations for public service. Did you know that John Adams mentioned Christianity in his (laughs) inaugural address? Here's Thomas Jefferson, his inaugural. I shall need to the favor of that being in whose hands we are who led our forefathers as Israel of old Mm. from their native land and planted them in that country. And so here he's referring to the God we're praying to is the God of Israel, so the Bible. James Monroe, the fifth president, my fervent prayers to that Almighty, that he will be graciously pleased to continue to us that protection which he's already so conspicuously displayed. Yeah. Prayers and presidents, inspiring faith from leaders of the past. I heartily recommend it. The author is William J. Federer. And Bill, thank you so much for, well, you just rattled this stuff off, but it's very inspiring to me. I really believe that Your book is a source of inspiration, and I think it will motivate and challenge people. Thank you so much for all the stuff you do and write. Thank you, Larry. In our resource center today, we have Bill Federer's excellent book, Prayers and Presidents. From George Washington's orders for troops to attend divine services to Abraham Lincoln's annual day of Thanksgiving to Harry S. Truman's annual day of prayer, America's leaders of the past have a tradition of faith, especially in times of crisis. Prayers and Presidents by Bill Federer has a chapter on every president of the past, from George Washington through George W. Bush, with excerpts from proclamations, addresses to Congress, executive orders, personal correspondence, and memoirs. Order Prayers and Presidents by Bill Federer when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or order online, swrc.com. A great source of inspiration for any student of history, you'll be uplifted and challenged by reading Prayers and Presidents by Bill Federer. Order copies for family and friends when you call 1-800-652-1144, or online, swrc.com. And please be in prayer about what you can do to help us update our recording studio. Studio 50 is our initiative to raise the needed funds to upgrade all the equipment and software that brings you this program. Learn more about Studio 50 when you call 1-800-652-1144 or you visit swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, we open the radio vault for a unique conversation from the past on the Book of Romans with Noah Hutchings and David Ingram. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.